Hello, and welcome to Follow the Woo podcast, where each week I, Fenelon Kush, will guide you on a journey into the land of the woo. We're going to investigate witchcraft, meditations, the paranormal and supernatural, alien and fey encounters, gurus, shamanism, and, and, and all the woo. So hold on to your butt. This just might be the weirdest part of your day. Hello, humans. I am in Pennsylvania, away from my normal audio setup. So if I sound a little different, that is why. Also, I'm going to keep this intro really short for that reason. I do want to just say that there is a full moon coming up tomorrow. It's the last super moon of 2022, which is exciting. It's a full moon in Aquarius. And I have heard that it is a full moon about forgiveness and kindness to others. Maybe it's not just to others. Maybe it's to yourself as well. I tend to go like super down the rabbit hole of all the things that the moon means. And then I don't remember anything. So you're in luck. This week, you just get one thing. It's about forgiveness of yourself and others. And also just keep in mind that it's going to be a cool one because it's a super moon. All right, let's get into it. My guest this week is Damla Akteken, and she is an inner child energetic wound healer, a crystal healing teacher, and a soul healing writer. She helps other self-healers and healers move beyond the energetic wounds of their inner children and shine brighter than they thought possible. Through her own healing journey, she discovered a unique way to approach crystal healing, which is based on cultivating a loving, co-creative, and respectful relationship with crystals that activates our limitless healing potential. Damla and I talk about a lot of things per usual, you know, we just pop right into a conversation about all the woo, but we talk a lot about crystal healing, which I haven't done on the podcast much yet. So it's kind of cool to hear from somebody who works with crystals all the time. I'm definitely going to try some of her recommendations for connecting with crystals. We also talk about inner child healing, which I know that sounds cliche, but it's real and it's important. And I work on it with my therapist. I actually have, what are those things called? Smush, smush mellow or squish mellow, whatever the fuck they're called. I have one of those and I often use it in therapy sessions as my inner child. And it's been incredibly healing. So it is worth it. We also talk about ancestral healing and the wounds that we can take on from our ancestors. And then we talk a little bit about aliens and a little bit of astrocartography and, and, and. So hold on to your butts, okay? And get into some crystal shit. And that's it. That's all I got to say to you, okay? Enjoy. I forget where you are. Where where are you living again? I'm East Coast, Boston, north of Boston. Oh, yeah, that's right. You're not from there, though, right? Where are you originally from? Turkey. Were you born in Turkey? Yeah, I grew up in Turkey. I moved here when I was 22 for my master's, for my MBA. And how do you feel about being here now, considering what's going on? This was pretty much a soul calling I've wanted to live in the U.S. since I was in the middle school. I'm happy here. Yesterday, someone asked me, I went to a new acupuncturist. And the moment she heard my name was Turkish, she said, however, did you escape that place? And I said, whatever do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) She thought I lived, I came from Saudi Arabia. 
like women couldn't drive, women go, couldn't go to school, but that's not the case. Women actually had voting rights before the women in America. We got ours in Turkey in 1919. There are things over there and there are things over here that I don't agree with and that I wish were different. But also there's something about this land that's immensely soothing to me. So I'm happy to be here. I wonder if you had a past life here. Let me put it this way. I love who I am here. And there is an astrology that deals with that. It's called, I think, cartography. So that expands your birth chart to see what specific meridians are in line with certain planets in your birth chart. So then you can see if you're pulled to a place, a particular land, like there's a an archetype in you that's wanting to get activated through that and to live through you through that. Yeah, I'm familiar with astrocartography. Was it directly through Boston? Because I know I have one that goes through the West Coast of this country. Through East Coast for me specifically. East Coast. Um, where I landed, I came for my studies to Washington, D.C. and then. Astrocartography is so cool. It's so, and actually I think my, like, I forget what the the most important like power line is in astrocartography, but mine is somewhere in like Portugal, that area. I think it's like in Spain, Portugal. That Have you been? Yeah, actually we just went to Portugal. And how did you feel? When I you- loved it. I really loved it. It's a beautiful country. Yeah. Yeah, we had a great time. So I think there's definitely something to that, that certain areas draw you in different lifetimes. It's fascinating. Astrology is amazing and mystical, and I'm very drawn to it right now. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) same. So let's get into your woo background. How did you get into this? I know from the pre-call, you said that you started in a corporate job. You were seemingly, from what I gathered, like on a very different trajectory than you are now. Yeah. So how did this start for you? What was like your earliest woo experiences and, and how did that path kind of go? My earliest woo experiences are growing up amongst women. My mom has four sisters, so five sisters total. They had a bond and my grandmother would often call us and say, let's say I was about to take a big exam or something was going on. So she would call us up and say, I had this dream, so it's going to go well. And the women exchange dreams often. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Turkish coffee, you can, the coffee grounds are in it, so you can turn it upside down and tell the fortune. And that was a constant part of my growing up. And my mom did that, and she taught me how to do that. That was such a um, juxtaposition because my mom is a high school math teacher and very much left-brained. It was just a part of it all. But I started out my education in engineering. I studied engineering, and then I switched to business. I did my MBA, and then I started my corporate career which was a little bit of a shock, meaning I would go into these meetings that were about installing software (laughs) or changing this and this in the client's office. No one would talk about things that mattered in my mind. All we would talk about was how can we save the client money and thus how can we make more money through saving the client money. 
And each day I would go to work and I would be like, what's the meaning? I like, I couldn't for the life of me find meaning in what I was doing. At the time though, my visa was dependent on my corporate job. So I would say to myself, like, let my presence be of service to at least one person in this setting in some way. And yeah, I mean, that led to my first health breakdown in 2005. I had just lost my grandmother and I couldn't go to Turkey for visa reasons. And yeah, one night after spending the the day at the office, I came home at nine or 10, actually, I was able to. And then that night at 3 a.m., I woke up with this intense pain in my head. I couldn't talk. And my husband just took me to the hospital. We discovered that I had migraines. So that was sort of my first wake up call, which then led me to say, okay, I need to be exploring something else. I I started yoga and that completely pulled me in. I became immersed in yoga. You're not seeing my bookcase, but it's filled actually. (laughs) Like half is filled with yoga and half is now filled with healing. But at the time it was all yoga and the yoga did something it connected me to to my body before I existed in my head. Even though intuition was something that was present in my family and it was part of the everyday conversation, like it was just a fact of life, but it wasn't how we made decisions. <laughs> it, yeah. it was more of like to help you on your left-brained path, like the left brain, the analytical had to be the first. And then my body said no. So I said, okay, go into the body, loved being in my body, loved everything about yoga, the chakra philosophy, more the philosophy, actually, the more I go into the yoga sutras and the, the ancient texts, they were mesmerizing. And then in 2012, I became a mom, beautiful pregnancy. My intuition is at its height. I was actually sensing and feeling people walking by as I was walking down the street. And if I felt someone was off, I would just change, walk over to the other side of the street. Sort of that protective instinct came over. And then the emergency C-section literally just cut me and cut my connection to my body. It was very, very hard healing from a surgery. And at the time, there were other physical, emotional challenges and the demands of being a new mom. I completely lost touch with who I was, what I was. I couldn't practice yoga. It was actually painful to go into my body at that time. And it became very clear to me that I was either going to stay like this spiral down to this black hole or pull myself up. And that sort of motherhood instinct takes over because you are carrying this light into life. And in every sense of the word, I mean, I gave birth to my daughter, but she gave birth to me as a mom and as a healer, as it gave me the strength to heal myself. And I said, okay, what I know isn't working. What I knew in my corporate mind didn't work. So I went into the body. The body clearly isn't working right now. What else is out there? And that's when mantras and crystals and EFT tapping and sound healing all came into my life. 
And looking back, I now know that I was looking for the vibrational part of it. I was looking for not just the mind, not just the thoughts, not just the physical three-dimensional. I was looking for more dimensions than that, more the elemental essence of us, the vibrational reality of us beyond the atoms, beyond the sub-atoms. According to current physics, we are vibrating strings of light coming in and out of existence in a cloud of probability. And I felt that when I started to work with mantras and when I held a crystal in my hand, when I felt the vibrations of a tuning fork, I could feel that. And more and more, I realized I am this drop of Om, drop of vibration, Om signifying the common vibrational essence of everything in the universe. We are all drops of Om swimming in a sea of Om. That's where I am. And... Through that discovery, I realized that this is something I want to teach and I want to help others realize that potential, that vibrational essence in themselves. So that's what I do. There's a lot there that I want to circle back to your earliest woo memory with your family. Do you feel like there is a lineage of empathic or healing women in your family? Or is that sort of common in where you grew up, like that most people were like that? There is, I feel, I know there is definitely in my family. I also know that now I know it can be nourished and enhanced through daily cultivating, soul connection cultivating practices. And that's what happened to me with crystals in particular. The more I spent time with them, the more I felt something sort of ease and expand in my body and in my field that allowed that to come through easier, that connection. Because when you're connected to yourself, it's like you can't help but get connected to all the streams of vibration around you. So it takes that kind of work, that kind of cultivation. I want to believe it's possible for every single one of us, especially women, especially moms, but not necessarily limited to them, with the exception being your level of trauma, your level of energetic wounds, and your level of awareness and activation through cultivating practices. When I met my Turkish family for the first time, which I hadn't actually met my father and my full family until I was older for various reasons. There was a woman, she's now passed, but she, when we all went to eat, it was amazing to be with all these people. It was actually deeply emotional to meet these people I've never met before and then feel so connected to them. And one of them read my coffee grounds and it was so spot on. And I mean, there was a a language divide, but it just seemed very acceptable. Like we were in a restaurant and she just like started doing it. And so that's why I asked, because I I was curious if that's just sort of common practice in Turkey. Yeah, very much so. First of all, coffee, everyone drinks everywhere, the Turkish coffee and then tea, as I'm sure you've experienced. Yes. (laughs) The thing to understand with reading the coffee grounds is it's not about the coffee or the grounds at all. It's just something that connects you again to that stream of that person and of their potentials and possibilities. You could do the same with tarot cards. Some people can do the same by just looking at your face. The coffee just became a culturally accepted thing that people can do. For me, when I'm reading it, it's more of what does this make me feel and how can I translate that into words? 
I also had another relative who did a handwriting analysis. I had to have it translated, but she said, write some sentences down on a piece of napkin or whatever. And then she read my handwriting back to me. And I thought, look at all these witches in my family. (laughs) But then now that I'm hearing from you, it just kind of feels like those are the things that are sort of woven into the fabric of that culture that I am a part of, but sort of still disconnected from. Well, my grandmother would read, I don't know if you're familiar with the Turkish pastry, uh, börek, or I should say Middle Eastern, it's everywhere. If someone was pregnant in their village, she would make a particular type of pastry. And according to how it turned out, she would say it's, it's a boy or a girl. So, I mean, it's, it's again, it doesn't matter what you're reading. Mm-hmm. How are you connecting to the to the source of all this? Yeah, we've been talking about that a lot in interviews lately. This idea that I think the last time I talked about this with the guest, it was Harry Potter. Dumbledore doesn't have a wand. He doesn't need a wand. And it's this idea that like we use these tools to connect all to the same thing. It's whatever tool, you know, works for your brain, your soul combination in this lifetime. But at a certain point, you realize that you you didn't need any of the tools. And, And maybe that won't happen probably for most people in this lifetime, it takes a long time to get to Dumbledore status. But, (laughs) you know, it's that that idea that the tools are there to just kind of trick your mind into getting into that stream, I think that you're talking about like an energetic stream that you tap into. Yeah, I mapped that actually, I have a self healing journey map. And that's one of the stages reaching for a tool is, but the first stage is stage zero. You don't even know that you have wounds. You think that they're normal, which I was before becoming a mom. And you assume that, you know, that's the way parents treat their children or however you lived was normal. And then stage one is realizing that, okay, I'm in discomfort. I know some things need to change. And I want to change them, but I don't know how. What's next? And then the next stage is saying, okay, I'm here. I want to be there. You realize that there is a there. You start to observe other people. Oh, what I lived wasn't normal. Like you could be more free. You could feel better in your body. You start to map like I'm here and there's a gap. I want to be there. But you still don't quite know how to get there. But then your next step is, okay, what did these people do? Let me do that. So that's the next step. You find a tool. At this step, though, for someone who's traumatized, you try a few different things. You are mostly in a do-it-yourself place because you're not ready to trust another person. You're not ready to trust another tool fully. So you go in and out. You start a practice. You're not consistent. You try something else. You're not consistent. There might be even a blaming of like, this healer didn't work for me or this tool didn't work for me. And then the next step is you go all in. You realize something really needs to change. And okay, I mean, I'm doing it myself. I'm trying all these tools, but maybe there's something in me too that needs to change. So you pick one tool, you go all in. For me, that was crystal healing. And when you go all in, you practice it every day. And then you don't blame others. You don't blame the practice. You don't blame the tools. (laughs) You don't blame the mat (laughs) you're lying down in. And you begin to say, ah, okay, this is all part of the journey. And you come back to the tool and come back to the tool and come back to the tool. And then the next shit show hits. (laughs) And the tool is like, maybe sustains you and maybe doesn't. And you realize, okay, 
I know that my cycle of struggle will come back again. That's the Dumbledore stage. So even when I'm regularly practicing, I am not enjoying the struggle hitting me. (laughs) I'm not enjoying it. (laughs) (laughs) And my tools can fill me up like one third of the way. And then in the Dumbledore stage, you say, okay, I can only do so much myself. How can I get help? So then you not only do it yourself regularly, you start to get regular help from people you trust. Then your cup gets filled more. And you also learn to anticipate the struggle cycle. When the next struggle cycle comes in, you don't blame the tools. You don't blame the teachers. Again, you don't blame (laughs) the temperature of the room. You say, ah, okay, my next challenge is here. Let me get even more resourced even more help? How can I increase my inner resources and outer resources so that I can begin to observe this struggle from a different vantage point and from a vantage point of acceptance, acceptance in the sense you're still going to want to fill your well and you're still going to want to move through it, but you're not trying to get out of it, avoid it and use the tool as a crutch. You are present for the good, the bad, the ugly and everything in between. You're an observer and you find joy, not like happiness, but joy in presence, even in the cycles of struggle. That was good. (laughs) It's funny because while you were doing it, I was thinking, oh yeah, I know that stage. I know that stage. That blaming that you keep bringing up, you know, that like you can't blame the tool, (laughs) you can't blame the mat that you're sitting on, you can't blame the teacher. That's so true. And as somebody who's dealt with chronic pain for a long time, I get stuck in that every so often where I'm like, oh, motherfucker, you know, like, what is this? Why? I do so many good things for you. What is happening? And I think that there's always that lesson to be learned. And that Dumbledore stage, that's when you get to the point where I'm trying to remember how you said it. You anticipate the struggle was the first thing you said. I love that. And then you surrender to it. You can still find joy amidst the struggle and the pain, right? You're not turning the pain into suffering, essentially. Mm -hmm. You're just acknowledging the pain and knowing that everything changes and it's going to change. You're bringing up a good point, which is pain. Struggle could be many things, but it falls under that category, which then brings up in me my current work, which is inner child healing. The better way to put that is cultivating a relationship with your inner child. Because the other part of the Dumbledore stage is not to say, oh, you know, this pain, why? Why is not a question, it's here. (laughs) 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 How did it get here? (laughs) Who cares? It's here. It's here now. It's not going to help you. I mean, you can formulate all sorts of stories in your mind. In my experience, pain is a way that the inner children communicate with us. And depending on where that pain is, there are certain chakra symbology and lessons. Like where is your pain usually? Sacrum. It's nerve pain specifically. So I have a genetic nerve situation. It's a neuropathy. It falls under that umbrella, but it's a rare version of the neuropathy. And you like that explanation, don't you? (laughs) You're like, it's genetic. It's... Well, I get that's a good point. I say that because I think this is good. I am the kind of person that can mask pain very well. So like I'm in pain a lot, but I am really good at like being in a good mood anyway. 
so then I say genetic because I'm like, no, it's a real thing. Like I really was born with it. Like I got a genetic test and it said, this is what you have. Cause people are like, what you're in pain. They don't believe me. The only reason I'm bringing that up is because same something like, I think I want to keep the possibility open when you say I was born with this to keep the possibility open with that. You can learn to be with this or you can learn to cultivate a relationship with this that doesn't just involve being in constant pain. So it might very well be, you know, the makeup of your three-dimensional state. But as we were talking about, your three-dimensional state is an illusion. You're a vibrational soup. (laughs) (laughs) Believe in Newtonian physics. Yes, you're born with it. There's nothing you can do about it. You're supposed to live with it. Versus if you believe in quantum physics, it's a whole other story. Right. Well, no, I don't remember the specific stories, but I have read, you know, these accounts where people did have genetic disorders or diseases and they reversed them. And doctors were like, what the fuck? This is impossible because you were born with this thing. So I do think there is something there that you like hit on with me specifically and my relationship with my pain. Yeah. The first question I would ask is, what's the emotion there? What's the sensation or the feeling there? And then I would ask, who is feeling this feeling in that part of your body, the sacrum you said? More often than not, when I ask who is feeling this feeling, people see a child in that area. And the child is doing two things. The first thing the child is doing is holding on to this pain pattern to get your attention. This child needs something. And the second thing that this child is doing is holding your infinite quantum potential of that age in that same spot. Mm. So the pain is also an indicator of how much potential is there to be realized. So then you get to do a few things. First, get in touch with this child and say, I'm here. You get to understand what they have been going through because it's how long have you had this? It started kicking in in my mid-20s, so about a little over 10 years, I'd say. Yeah. So they've been holding on to this for a while now. And then you say, okay, how can I be of service to you? How can I be there for you? How can I nourish you? And that happens not with words. That happens with the language of coffee reading, with the language of dreaming. You begin to heal and nourish the child with the kind of language that that they can understand because like if this is a younger than five-year-old child, they don't have words for emotions, but they might have pictures for it. They might have colors for it. They might have objects for it. So they're going to show you their inner worlds in their language. So you need to respond in their language. Once the nourishment happens, you can then say, okay, how can I get in touch with you? How can we talk to each other without you having to give me pain? What other ways can I be there for you? And that opens up the conversation of the energetic potentials coming up to the surface. When I was living in LA, I went to this really incredible Ayurvedic doctor. One of the things that he explained to me was like, beyond all of this is a child, your inner child, and she's in a forest and she's out there lost and you have to go and find her because that's where I'm seeing her. Yeah, that's his vision. I would be interested in your vision. Like when you go in there, what do you even see in that 
region because the the first chakra is very much we were talking about this earlier your roots your family yes your genetics but also how you stand on the earth how you get nourished and supported by your roots and there is pain when uh, trees are sending their roots down i can imagine it's they need to be forceful and they're trying to root down enough to get nourishment. And that's a painful process. Like where in your life are you trying to send down roots and it's not going anywhere or it feels like it's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. I think this inner child work is really, really important for everyone. And I remember you saying in the pre-call, like it didn't matter what you were doing with a person. It's almost like Every single time it went to the inner child, that was the thing that would come up for them to heal is that there was a child that needed something. Yeah. Inner child or the ancestors or the ancestors in our children. Yeah. <laughs> but when I say inner children, I say, think about, so every single moment's quantum potential, unlimited quantum potential for you. I also include that's in my belief system. Doesn't have to be in yours. Past parallel future lives and past parallel future lives of your ancestors. Ancestors meaning anything and any being that may have contributed to your life positively in a life-affirming way, in some way. So there's your wounding, there's the ancestral wounding, there's the collective wounding of humanity. And sometimes it all comes out at once. Tell me more about ancestral wounding. What does that mean? You know, does that mean that you're carrying energetic wounds because your ancestors have been for who knows how long? Yeah. Let me talk about me, my experience. So my ancestors were forcefully migrated due to their religion from Bulgaria and Greece into Turkey. There was a war agreement that they had to migrate. So they didn't have a choice. In my case, I knew I wanted to live in the U.S. since I was in middle school. I don't know how, but I just knew. I chose to migrate. And even then, there were certain things that are still extremely difficult. So when I hit something that I don't know anything about, like, I don't know, it could be simple things like my house needs repairs and I don't know anyone to do that kind of repair because I don't have family in this area. The panic that rises in me. I know that not all of that is mine. Or it also happens when in my creative entrepreneurial journey, I create something new. I'm about to launch it to the world. And my ancestors go, maybe like pulling me like, maybe not yet, maybe not yet. So the first time I actually created an online course and put it out into the world, I was sick for two weeks. I had a throat and an ear infection. <laughs> the same like I managed to and no one in my family got sick just me so I know what I'm working with though I know how now how to soothe them and that involves soothing my nervous system they continue to live in my nervous system the genetic makeup the DNA holds all the records but it also holds the records of resiliency the records of that entrepreneurial spirit the era of wanting to move, the Sagittarius in me, it's about cultivating enough of a relationship with yourself to say, which part is getting louder? How do I nourish that part? So the potential underneath of that arrow can be realized. That's a constant process. Yeah, forever and ever. <laughs> Why would your ancestors want to pull you back? My That's grandmother's specific. mom got sick on the way over to Turkey and died on the road when she was very, very young. I mean, loss, famine, poverty, 
and just inc- incredible pain on that journey and also in establishing their lives. So it's understandable that they want to protect me from that. So in the example of you launching your course, is that just like being too much in the open or is it just too risky? Or how did you interpret that? Yeah, I mean, it is always a risk to bury yourself right. there, part of your soul into the world. Let me own part of that is mine. Part of that is mine. Of course. Yeah, Um, it's definitely, we all have that. I feel like they're just wanting to make sure that you're protected. And sometimes maybe the way that they want to protect is not helpful for you. And you're like, excuse me, I still have to do this. Exactly. (laughs) Your child in your sacrum is doing too. Oh, great. Yes. (laughs) Dear inner child, could you please protect me in a different way? Exactly. But you got to give her a particular way. You got to give her a job to do. Mm, I'm writing that down. I want to go back to crystals. You were doing the yoga and everything was hunky dory, you know, in the land of getting into your body. You were really connected to the sutras and you were deeply immersed in that. And then you had a baby, but you had to have this C section and it was an emergency. And so it caused all these issues. You had mentioned in the pre-call that that you use crystal healing to kind of heal from that. Tell me about that. Like, what does crystal healing look like? So at the time, crystal healing came into my life, which was simply I discovered a YouTube video. I watched it. I said, okay, I'm curious enough. Let me get a whole bunch of like these huge, large crystals, (laughs) (laughs) which I now know isn't necessary. It's vibrational medicine. You don't need a whole lot. In fact, you don't need them at all after a certain point. But at the time, I got the crystals and I had these little pockets of time, five or 10 minutes that I could lie down and be with them. And every single time I could notice just a little bit of a a shift, a little bit more relief, a little bit more relief. So it wasn't that like I would do just this one meditation and I would be like, ooh, it was like little drops, little drops in, which is why I insist on cultivating a daily practice. And at the time, I also didn't have time or the bandwidth to read a whole bunch of books and to memorize a whole bunch of things about crystals. And when I did open books, I saw just conflicting things, things that didn't make sense to me. For instance, rose quartz just going to the heart wasn't my experience. My rose quartz actually liked being all around my body. (laughs) And it was just seeing these limitations that people were putting on crystals in these resources based either on, I hope, based on their personal experience, or it felt like they were just carrying on something that they heard from somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that didn't sit well with me, being in Aquarius and all that. So I said, okay, (laughs) I want to do this differently. And I didn't, it wasn't even a conscious decision. It was, I was doing it out of necessity. I needed relief myself. So I kept just reaching to crystals with my intuition and playing with them. And the very first time I did a crystal healing on someone else was my mother-in-law. And just to help her go into it, I, I devised this like in the moment guided meditation for her. And she came out of it. She was crying. (laughs) She was crying the whole time. Actually, I could see crying tears of relief. And then I could see she was a different person like her face looked different and she told me she was hearing music I wasn't playing and I was like oh okay that led me to offer crystal healings to people and then in groups but people kept asking me like what crystal do I use 
quote unquote use. And I don't like that word for crystals. I'll explain why. It just didn't make sense to me to tell people this and this crystal to this and this chakra only. That wasn't my experience. And I also in my workshops, I would put the crystals in balls and I would say, just pick whatever you're drawn to and place them wherever you're drawn to. Like I would guide them through a little meditation again. And it worked. I mean, every single time with every single person, (laughs) this is like hundreds of people, they would feel some sort of relief afterwards. It would be more for some people, it would be less maybe, but they all would feel relief, which was my experience too. I began to understand that, first of all, the question shifted for me from what crystals to choose to how do I approach them and how do I explain this thing that's happening that I see happening with me and with others. And I came to understand that crystals are our ancestors. Again, with the ancestor definition of anything that contributes to your life in some way. And we are made up of crystals. Bones, 65% of more crystals. Eyes, liquid crystal. Water, DNA is a liquid crystal. Your fascia is a liquid crystal structure. And it looks very much like the insides of quartz. In all this, I realized, first of all, crystals are piezoelectric. So you can create an electrical charge when you touch them. So can you with the touch of your skin because your fascia is piezoelectric. I also realized that as we can get activated through intention, so can they. Intention meaning like I look at you lovingly and you feel something or I look at you not lovingly and you feel something. (laughs) So the same with crystals. And I began to realize it wasn't so much what crystal was on my body. It was how I was holding them. I was holding them with a lot of reverence. I was curious about them. That was the gift of my not knowing anything about crystals at the beginning because I was curious about them. I was holding them with this sort of awe. I would hold them, turn them around, just look at the colors, and I would just be amazed by them. And I was very gently put them down, very gently pick them up. That kind of relationship began to get my meditations with them deeper and deeper and deeper. Because what crystals do is they take your intention, they cohere it, they amplify it. So whatever intention you put in them gets mirrored or reflected back to you and they can laser focus your intentions too. Just to summarize all of it, my approach is based on you cultivating a relationship with your crystals. You saying before you even take them home, do I have permission? Would you like to come with me? And yes, it's a conversation that's happening in your head and that's fine. (laughs) And just like talking to your inner child, you're talking to the physical representation of what your inner, literally your three-dimensional inner life looks like. You're able to hold that in your hand as a physical representation. How incredible is that? And not only that, this quote unquote, rock that you're holding has been there for millions of years and has immense wisdom. I mean, this is a sort of beingness that can connect you to yourself and through them, you can connect to any and all streams of vibration that's around you. So it's incredible what they do. Do you come in contact with people who are like, it's just a rock. There's nothing. What would you say or what would you do? I wouldn't do anything. I mean, I would respect where they are on their healing stage, which might be stage zero. They're not even looking for a tool. They don't know that their tank is empty 
or empty yank. And I respect that. I mean, I have been there. I continue to be there for certain wounds. And when we continue to cycle through zero through five every single day, all of us, I would ask that person, what is sacred to you? What objects do you find sacred? Because what you make sacred becomes sacred. That's definitely a part of it with crystals. But the other part of it is, to me, yes, a rock has the potential to do that for you through your own intention. But the crystal is kin. Crystal is a relative. Crystal looks like you, is like you. So how do you treat something that is your relative, that is literally your sister or brother or ancestor, and that just is there for you? So that's the kind of reverence and that's the kind of respect that I want to interact with my crystals. And that's not something I can impose someone or infuse into someone if they're not feeling it. Yeah. What would you say to somebody who's just purchased Moldavite? This has been happening a lot on social media where these people are going and they're buying Moldavite. And I'm curious what you think about Moldavite because there's this whole idea in the crystal community that Moldavite is really intense and you shouldn't start there. You should start with something else that's a little less intense. But the reality is, is that people are getting Moldavite and having negative reactions to it. They're like not able to sleep or they're feeling like really intense, anxious energy or whatever. You know, there's a, there's a lot of strong energy that people are saying emits from that specific crystal. And there are a few others as well, like uh, serpentine is one. What would you say to that? Like if somebody came to you and said, I bought this Moldavite and now it seems like a shit show is happening. Did you invite the Moldavite into your life? (laughs) Good call. Did you say, I see you, here you are, here I am as an energetic being. Let's introduce each other to each other. And do you want to partner with me today? Do you have that kind of a relationship within yourself to hear those subtle answers? I have a crystal healing journal. It's the 21 day journey with just one crystal. And did you even ask, like, what part of the day does small divide enjoy partnering with you? What part of your body does it enjoy partnering with you? Does it like to be forced into doing a certain thing for you. (laughs) Because from what you're describing, it seems like the intention is bring out all of my stuff all at once. That's the kind of intention that you're going in with. And that's the kind of result that you're going to get if you go in with that kind of intention versus I see you, I recognize you, and here I am. What can we co-create together? today. I've had Moldavite in my house for many years. I have a very tiny one. To be perfectly honest, I haven't been drawn to her that much. And that's just been my journey. I've have partnered with many other as powerful or more powerful crystals. Again, for me, it's a question of being present, knowing yourself, being in the moment. And if you are experiencing those kind of things like sleeplessness and this and that, that's definitely not the right kind of part, either the not right kind of partnership relationship or the not right crystal for you at that time. Maybe at a later time it will be. But why force it? And why approach it as everybody else is doing it, so I need to do it? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Those would be my comments about (laughs) Very good. You just said her. Do you identify all of your crystals as female presenting? Most of them I do, but that's my preference. You don't have to. I also say they, depending on, on my day. 
most of the time I feel the femininity is such an underrepresented phenomenon. I'm okay to overuse it a little bit. Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like your advice really always goes back to when working with crystals, to having a conversation with them, asking them, being gentle with them. So if that's sort of the beginning of your advice with working with crystals, is it possible that people who have been just buying crystals willy-nilly, you know, and not asking and not cultivating relationships with them, is it possible that some of those crystals don't want to be in the house? And if so, then what would you recommend? Like going to each one of them and, and doing that 21-day journey with each one? Or how would you handle that? Like if I find myself here at this point, listening to this interview, <laughs> and I have like a third 30 plus crystals. I mean, if they're there with you, they're somehow or some way meant to be with you. But I would not go in and say, let me do everything with all of them. In the book, in the journal, I'm suggesting actually up to seven, up to five or seven, and going on journeying with them. Mm. And then once you're done, you can choose another set of seven and do the same. And it's, again, it's meant to be enjoyable or or sometimes you can say, okay, like this week, let me go into a healing journey with these five. And then next week, choose another five. There are no rules with this other than your willingness and openness to, again, like you say, cultivate a relationship, have a conversation. And the conversation doesn't have to be you're speaking out loud. <laughs> The conversation could be just as simple as what you were mentioning, the way you hold them, Mm -hmm. the way you place them. And then you were asking me, like, what's crystal healing like for you in your life? Because I've realized this desk that I have underneath my laptop has crystals because wood has DNA. DNA is crystalline. My ceramic mug, crystals, minerals. Air has bacteria and viruses. Again, anything with DNA, crystalline. The drywall has crystals in it. And the more I looked around, the more I began to see crystals everywhere. And then I realized, whoa, what have I been doing? How have I been treating my life and my environment, my food, my water? Because they can hear me. Not in the sense with the ears, but vibrationally, they can hear me. So the practice becomes... How are you going to load your dishwasher? Are you doing it like cursing it? Are you jamming the door shut? (laughs) Are you having a fight with your, I don't know, duvet cover as you're putting it in? (laughs) That's so funny because we just were having a fight with our duvet cover. (laughs) That fight is in you. There's nothing going on with duvet. Begin to realize everything is a relationship. And because you are a crystal, I feel like that's, If people remember one thing, they should remember that they are a crystal, as in they take in, they process, store, and they release information, electrical, vibrational information. So anything you do becomes crystal healing. If you're doing it mindfully, if you're doing it with awareness, you don't need to buy that huge Moldavite rock or whatever. (laughs) You are a crystal. How are you speaking? Your teeth, minerals, crystals. How are you relating to others in your life? Are you looking them in the eye? Are you yelling at them? So that relationship element carries over to everywhere and to your inner children. It reminds me of uh, Dr. Masuro Emoto. Are you familiar with his like 
the water. Yeah. And for the listeners who don't know, his work was discovering essentially that you could change the actual physical crystalline structure of the water, depending on how you spoke to it or how you felt when you were drinking it or what you were thinking or what you were feeling. Mm -hmm. And he did all these experiments. And just to give an example, there was like one that would be, I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. You know, that, that really intense. And they did that over a long period of time. And then they popped that you know, water blop under a microscope and saw that it looked really not cute. And then the other one was, I love you. I love you. I love you. And it's very interesting. Same way when you're talking to your pain, when you say things like, why are you here? You're talking to water. You're talking to a child. Why are you here? Or you're here because your genetics are like this. You're always going to be like this. Imagine saying that to a child versus saying something like, I hear you. I see you. I'm going to sit with you today. I'm just going to sit. I'm going to sit with you if you allow me to sit with you today. If you allow me, I would like to hold your hand. I am so sorry. I am so sorry for the times I ignored you, for the times I belittled you, for the times I accused you, for the times I was mad at you. I'm so sorry. What can I do to hear you better? What can I do to nourish you? What can I do to um, understand you better? That's a good point because with chronic pain, a lot of the times the first emotion is anger and anger would be in that same category in that Masuri Moto example as, you know, I hate you that like, ugh, I'm so mad at you. I'm so frustrated. And it's all that energy. And it's a great point to, to take that and say, oh, well, what's a, maybe a different way you could interact with this pain. Yeah. And So one thing that happens, and parents will know this, when you get mad at your child, you feel so shitty afterwards. The one thing to do there is to show some compassion to yourself too. And I always tell my daughter, when that happens, I circle back with her either immediately or like when I cool down and I say, I'm so sorry, this had nothing to do with you. This has to do with me. I am so sorry. So that you need to do with the inner child as well. I love that that's your parenting style. That was actually my mom's style as well. And it's such an incredible gift that you're giving your child because I am exceptionally good at apologizing now. And I learned that from watching my mother apologize. She did that same exact thing. Like, this is not you. This is me. And I'm so sorry. And just like you said, it it was almost immediate. And I really appreciated that. And and that has become a very, a core value of who I am as an adult because of having a mother like that. Mm. Thank you. I think that's a just a beautiful gift to impart really. And I hope to give it to my child someday as well. (laughs) Yeah. She's very good though. She's she's the guru. She's like, mom, can you please not use that tone of voice? So even (laughs) when I think I'm being kind, like I am, the tone of the voice changes. So this vibrational child is like, don't you use that vibration with me. So yeah, she does keep me in check. I love kids. I think they're so much smarter than us. I feel like they're just closer to the original state of vibration. And I just, I love being around them. I think they have so much wisdom and they also can be so sassy, which I think is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you about past life regressions specifically related to crystals. I can't even tell you how many times, like 
too many to count. I have read, I have heard people tell me on the podcast, I've just chatted with people, I've seen on documentaries that when people have past life regressions, inevitably at some point they are in a place that has crystal structures or they are meditating with people with lots of crystals. What are your thoughts on that? And have you experienced that personally? Okay. Where do crystals live is the question. Well, they they come from the earth and some of them live under the earth. And if you look at it symbolically, when you're going into a journey like that, and I've gone on them, I don't offer past life regressions to my clients, but I've gone on them. What you're doing essentially in any kind of healing work is you're going beyond the surface to the underworld. And that underworld is literally underneath the skin. Your earth is made up of crystals. The underworld is the unknown. It's where the inner children live. It's where your trauma lives, as well as your quantum potential lives there in the underworld. So it makes complete sense to me symbolically that they would go there. The underworld is also the womb. We go in to the world of our potential and our seeding, our possibility. And the outer world is what we know, what we can see. Well, we can sense very clearly in the underworld, the senses are more subtle, it's darker, and it feels we feel that survival fear, fear when we go underworld. It's like we're entering into the unknown. The underworld forces you to be even more intuitive, even more listening, like deep listening, not just the you know, flashing sounds and flashing lights, but what are the subtle lights, the subtle sounds, the subtle things I haven't heard? What's underneath this murky water? Do I even have the guts to dive in there? So it's no surprise to me that people see and experience their crystalness. I used to teach crystal healing to five-year-olds as a meditation tool. I would have them hold the crystal in their hands and I would tell them to imagine themselves going very, very tiny, very, very small. And they would walk into the crystal and they would tell me what they saw. And most of them saw colors. A lot of them saw geometric shapes, even though I hadn't explained to them what crystals are, their molecular structure, you know, nothing. They would see geometric structures, colors, flows of energy. So this is something we know. This is something that we are. So it makes perfect sense to me that people would see crystals either as metaphorical, as symbols, or they may have as rituals at one point in their continuum, been to those deeper places to symbolize going within. Do you find that children generally have like an easier time connecting with crystals than adults? They're more open. Yeah. They don't have preconceptions. They don't have judgments, labels, expectations. So yes. Yeah. They're just like, cool, let's dive into this crystal. Where am I going to end up? My daughter would build cities with, she would color code my crystals when she was that age and she would build cities and she would make little characters. She would name them. They would play with each other. I mean, it's very, very normal to them and they don't have a hard time talking to crystals either. No, they do not. (laughs) 
I've seen a ton of really cool YouTube videos of little kids and their parents who may or may not be like interested in crystals. We're just like, my kid is obsessed with crystals and they make all these like grids and they've got all kinds of stuff going on. And the parents are just like, uh, and I think that's another example of the child being the guru. Like you said, that they come in and they have lots of stuff to teach and you just have to hold on to your butt. <laughs> <laughs> You talk about ancestors and you haven't said the term spirit guides yet, That not that I remember. Do you work with only ancestors or do you also have spirit guides? Do they cross over? You know, how do you differentiate between those two or do you? I don't. I just say divine soul helpers. And the divine to me has a specific meaning, divine in the sense that these beingnesses around us that can hold everything in love, the light and the dark, everything in love. And the same when I say I call forth my divine soul, the part of me that can hold everything in compassion. So I just say divine soul helpers, elders and guides. Now, in that process, have you noticed that there are ones that continually show up? Like, do you have names for any specific beings or is it always just very broad for you? It's very broad. I do allow with my clients if they want to bring in a specific energy. And for me, occasionally I might, I like the goddess imagery. I might go there for myself. Again, same thing with the crystals. Like I don't want to limit. I yeah. don't want to limit who or what needs or wants to show up as long as they're defined. And I don't have names necessarily for the energies that I work with. I just know and feel that they're beneficial and life affirming and that's enough for me. Based on all of your experiences, what is your understanding or opinion about gods and goddesses, like different pantheons? Do you think that there actually are other non-human entities like aliens, that there were certain goddesses and gods that were alive at some point or they are in another dimension or are they all just sort of like vibrational imprints from our minds? What's real, what's not real? Well, in my world, anything has the potential to be real in the sense that I'm open to any and all possibilities. And I'm also open to any and all facets of those possibilities. Some cultures, like the Hinduism, they put dresses on the different aspects and the facets. And they say, here, different sides of the jewel. And you can call on this particular side of the jewel with this particular mantra. Other cultures say there's the goddess, but the goddess is loving, but she's also fierce. Like the goddess Inanna from the Sumerian culture. She's fierce. She's also unfair sometimes and so on. So they put different aspects into that archetype. Again, I'm open to any and all possibilities with the premise that anything is possible in the quantum world. And within those possibilities, I'm protective of my energy field and mm -hmm. I'm very selective of who or what I call in to my energy. Smart. I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is a very like, like a political answer. And that's fair, right? Because there is no firm answer on this. Yeah. But I will piggyback off of that and ask with what's going on with the UFO reports and everything coming out right now, just out of curiosity, do you feel like within our lifetimes, physical, quote unquote, aliens will visit this planet? I believe they're already here. <laughs> 
Boom. (laughs) But again, that's my belief. And it's not like I'm not someone who's here to impose their beliefs. What makes you feel that and think that? Not personal experience, but it just feels, I go a lot by feeling. I think to answer your first question again is, I do feel that there's divine presence at different levels and degrees in my life. And I feel that every day. And I've always felt that even as a child, I felt that like I've known that very deeply, not religiously, but I felt that there's divineness around us and in us. And with the UFOs, it's the feeling that I have is it just doesn't make sense that they wouldn't want to visit (laughs) a conscious civilization. I mean, on we are like taking baby steps towards consciousness and awareness. But I would assume we would be fascinating to a civilization who is a little further along than us. So why not? Yeah. Do you think that they're in human bodies or they're just sort of chilling in the shadows, so to speak? Both. Yeah. Same. There is one book that mentions like direct experience. And this is someone that I do believe and trust. He's since passed, but his name is Thomas Ashley Ferrand. And his book is True Stories of Spiritual Power. And he talks about meeting possibly aliens who disguise themselves in human bodies. They have like these big eyes and he talks about meeting them as benevolent creatures. And I I do think that I don't see like aliens and predators coming out of human bodies. <laughs> when I think of aliens, I just think of curious, conscious beings. Not like men in black with that big like cockroach looking thing. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there are a lot of people that believe that too. So it's, it's, a, it's I mean, it is a possibility. It's just yeah. It's not something you're giving your energy to. Yeah, you could say that. Yeah. So on the weirdness of aliens, I like to ask all of my guests this question, which is what is the weirdest paranormal, supernatural woo experience that you've ever had? And if there's more than one, feel free to share more than one. Yeah, there is. Well, I went and bought a tutu for my daughter in the first week that I discovered that I was pregnant. The name of my business came to me in a dream, a drop of om. I know there was guidance there. But the experience I'm going to share is, again, tied to this book, True Stories of Spiritual Power. And in it, Thomas Ashley Ferrand, who was a mantra teacher and a spiritual teacher, they kept asking him, his students, like, is there reincarnation? Is there reincarnation? And one day he decided to test it. He goes and visits a newborn friends of his. And at one moment, he's alone with this child, like mom and dad are doing something in the kitchen and the child is sitting in the crib. And he just brings his thumb and index finger together and does the Jnana Mudra, which is the individual coming together with the universe, with the infinite. And the mudra of the thumb and index finger coming together is this universal sign of bodhisattvas, people coming to earth to teach and to reduce suffering. And the only thing he does is he looks at the child and the child for just one millisecond does the mudra. And of course, the, the you know, it goes. So, but he says to him, that was sort of the little glimpse of possibly having past lives and bringing those past influences back. So I read this when I was in Turkey, visiting my parents. My daughter was one. And my parents live in this very, very small town. And in this small town to today, still there's, there are no yoga studios. I mean, nothing. You wouldn't be able to find Janana Mudra if you looked with, (laughs) (laughs) you know, uh, with a light in your hand. 
So the next day we went to a playground and I totally forgot about what I read. And I'm just, you know, I'm watching my daughter and she's sliding and there's a slide and I'm, I'm waiting for her to climb up. And I see at the top of the, the slide, this four-year-old girl looking at me and smiling. I just locked up my eyes with her for a moment. I just got mesmerized with her for a moment. She looked into my eyes, she smiled, and then she did the Janana Mudra. <laughs> just, again, just for a moment, the Janana Mudra. And then she smiled and then she slipped <laughs> from the slider. And I just, I smiled because I was, it was such a confirmation to me, first of all, like a soul knowing of this. And I don't know this child to mm -hmm. this day, but I know that our souls connected in that moment and that like there was a message, the mudra was coming through. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think that she just got a download in that moment or that she was specifically connected to you or does it even matter? I don't even know. I mean, I just know she was around four or five. They're very open at that time. Mm -hmm. So either that or some of my guys were like, let us talk to you through her. Mm -hmm. Who knows? But it was yeah. a it was a beautiful moment. And it's it's a reminder for me not to take the face value of things. When that stuff happens, it's so cool how they use what's already in your subconscious in this lifetime. So you had that story of the mudra. That would have been like the most powerful thing for you to see. Yeah. I just, I love it when that happens. Like it, it's like they try to find like the thing that you're already connected to. Yeah. Yesterday, something happened. I was driving my daughter to her summer art camp. And I'm just thinking in my mind, I'm thinking I, I would love to volunteer. Where should I volunteer? What can I do? And I just, I thought it. And then I just sort of forget about it. I dropped my daughter off. As I'm walking back to the car, there's someone literally holding a sign with the name of my favorite charity community organization on the sign. And that organization is on belay. And at first I thought, like, is she trying to get donations? No, she was, I think they had an uh, event there. So she was guiding people to this event, like saying for people for this organization come here. And what they do is they work with children whose families, family members might have cancer. So they offer activities to those children. And I've attended activities and events with them before. And the moment I saw that, I mean, first of all, literal sign, someone holding a sign. Mm -hmm. And then the next moment, the moment I realized this, it was like, I saw myself writing on the board <laughs> and teaching these children, teaching them some meditations, some things that might be helpful for them. And then I wrote down and I, I got this huge download of like a full lesson plan for them that I wrote down. And it was a very literal sense of like, I taught about it. I sort of left it, let it be. And then it was a physical sign mm -hmm. <laughs> telling me this is, this is the organization. Yeah. There's something to be said about letting things go that you want and waiting it's a good lesson and I'll have to continue learning it like over and over again, probably. Some lessons we do. Yeah, that's a, Some don't go away. <laughs> that's a sticky one. <laughs> I want to wrap up here, but are there any other like last words you wish to share with the listeners? I always like to say, just be gentle with yourself. That's one thing to remember. Just be gentle. And the playfulness comes to mind. Also letting yourself go out and play in the sense that just getting out of your 
daily routine. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be a huge party, but even, I don't know, take a walk somewhere you haven't walked. <laughs> Go meet with some people you haven't met in a while, adding that playfulness into your life. So gentleness with the not so great feeling parts and then playfulness with the parts that want to come to life in you. That's great. I have learned a lot from this conversation and great m- reminders for me. And so thank you so much for that, which I, I never know what's going to happen in these conversations. <laughs> so that was a lovely surprise. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. I enjoyed this conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much, Damla. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Beautiful. Thank you. All right. Well, if that conversation doesn't convince you that you need to hang out with your crystals more, I don't know what will. I really don't. Seriously, though, I am going to do the 21 days of hanging out with three to five crystals. Shit, I might do it with just one. I don't know. I'll let you know what I do. Again, my recording setup is all different, so I'm going to make this super short and sweet. But I want you to know that you can find everything that Domla is up to at adropofohm.com. And I highly recommend that you take the energetic wounds quiz. So if you go to the website and you scroll all the way down to the bottom, there is a quiz there. And who doesn't love a good quiz? That will help you discover where your energetic wounds are and how they show up in your life. And then like she broke down in this conversation, you'll be able to see at what stage you are at in that journey of sort of moving through them and how long it's going to be until you get to the Dumbledore stage, which is the question of all time. You can also check out her podcast, which is called Conversations with Healers. It's on Apple. It's on Audible. It's it's pretty much in all of the major hosting platforms. Okay, y'all. Enjoy that full moon. Be nice to yourself. I have noticed, especially this year, that I have been getting headaches on the full moon. So take care of yourself. These super moons bring a lot of energy. All right. Bye. Thank you for following The Woo with me today. If you love what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to Follow The Woo wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly stoked about this show, please leave a review and or rating. You can also support this podcast by becoming a member of The Order of Woo, where you'll get community access and loads of extra goodies exclusively on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash follow the woo. The Order of Woo patrons bolster this podcast and community and allow for the creation of more content, products, services, and events over time. Every little bit helps, and I'm so grateful for the patrons who have joined the order already. If you've experienced something magical, mystical, or just downright weird and want to discuss it, or if you're interested in sharing your expertise, or if you want me to research a woo topic with you or for you, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Join me next week for another woo topic. And remember, tell the truth, be nice to each other, and if it feels right, 